Welcome to the First Baptist Church Brunswick podcast. Join us as we desire to lead people into a deep and thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm so glad you're here this morning. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want to ask you and invite you to take them out and go to the New Testament book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 27 uh, through 30 uh, this morning as we've already made mention that today is a special day uh, here in the life of our church because many of you for the first time um, are wearing blue jeans and a t-shirt to church. How does that feel? That's a tough one, I know. That is a tough one for some of us, and, and uh, that, is, that, is, that is all right. That is okay. But today is a special day, and um, again, as we've mentioned, we'll be going to serve our community here in a few moments, and at the end of our service, we will observe the ordinance of baptism. But, but I can't tell you how excited I am about this text that we're going to look over um, this morning. I'm really excited about this text because it fits perfectly with what we are wanting to accomplish today. It fits absolutely uh, perfectly, and so I'm real excited about it. So uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 uh, through 30, follow along in your copy of God's Word. You can also follow along on the, um, uh, the YouVersion Bible app. Um, you can click on Live Event, and you can then click on First Baptist Church Brunswick, and all of our notes will come, will show up on uh, your YouVersion Bible app. And so um, let's do this this morning. Why don't we do this? Let's stand together as we read, as we read God's Word. Can we do that? Please stand. And it reads, starting in verse number 27, Paul says, Only, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them. But of salvation for you, and that too, this is from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. And Father, in our time together as we study your, as we study your word, Father, I pray that you would through the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us. Word of God, we trust that your word will not return void. And God, we pray that you move amongst us. And may the world know that we follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. You may have a seat. Well, I've titled today's message, Joy in the Trenches. Joy in the trenches, and, and my goal today is to, is to preach a shorter message than usual. And everybody said, Pastor, don't lie to me. Don't you do it. Well, that's the goal because we have so, some, several things to do today, but, but joy in the trenches. I, I chose that term or that phrase, joy in the trenches, Really because um, it reminds me of, of football, and we're in the midst of football season, and in football you have this phrase of the trenches, and, and by the way, just to let you know, my beloved Texas Tech Red Raiders have the same record as Alabama, praise God. 
I can only say that for a couple more weeks. I'm just letting you know, but I'm going to ride it out as long as we can. But, uh, but it's football season, and we in the South, we love football season, and, and we know that, um, that that's a kind of a big part of our culture. But, but in football lingo, there is this idea of the trenches, that whatever takes place in the trenches Usually the team who wins the trenches is going to win the game. Well, what is the trenches? In football, the trenches are, it takes place around the line of scrimmage. It's the offensive line versus the defensive line. This is where all the big guys are, all the big bodies, and they, and they hit and they, and they block, and there's a lot of hitting and tackling and, and going on, and, and there's just a lot of battle taking, taking place across the line of scrimmage. So whoever wins the trenches typically is going to win the game. And here in our text, verses 27 through 30, Paul says to the church at Philippi, listen, you can still have joy in the trenches where the battle is taking place. You can have joy where the, where at the line of scrimmage of life where battles are taking place, but this is where life is fought. This is where it takes place, but you can have joy in the trenches. And, and our text, rather quickly, it begins with what I think is an enormous challenge. Look at verse number 27. It begins with an enormous challenge. And Paul tells to us in verse 27, he says that we need to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we have to remember, who is Paul writing to? He's writing to believers, He's writing to the believers in Philippi, the church that he started, and he said to them, he said, church, listen, you need to live your life so that people will know that you're a Christian. You need to live your life so that other people will know that you live for the Almighty God. And in verse 27, there are three words that I believe unlock this text that, that opened up this text to, to help us to understand that, that we can have joy in the trenches and that there are moments where we really have to, have to fight at the line of scrimmage, but this is what can take place. Victory can take place there. The first word in verse number 27 that I want you to look at is the word only. It's the very first word in verse number 27. Only conduct yourselves. Now, if you have the New International Version, you won't see that word there because it's, it's not used. But, but in the Greek, it is the Greek word monos. Say that with me. Monos. And that Greek word monos, it literally means only, and one translator says this, it means the number one thing. So taking the football theme here, um, a lot of times, uh, maybe not necessarily now, but in the past, in football games, you would see people put on these foam fingers. You, remember, you know what I'm talking about? Those big foam fingers. The idea here, when Paul says, only conduct yourselves, that word only, it is a picture of Paul picking up that foam finger and saying, the one thing that I want you to know, the one thing that I want you to remember is this. And Paul is saying to the church, he's saying this, listen, I'm in prison right now, but I can have joy in prison. I believe that I'm going to be released, but here's what I want you to know, church, whether I live or whether I die, here's the one thing that I want you to know. I want you to know this. And he says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy. Look at your text and circle that word worthy. That word worthy, again, there's a lot of word pictures in this text that I think that is beautiful. That word worthy, it literally means to balance the scales. And so when Paul says 
to live in a manner worthy of the gospel. Paul is saying to the Philippians, he says, you need to live your life. When your life is put on the scale, it is, you're living for God and you give credit to God for everything that he's done in your life. Everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, the indifferent, the moments where you feel close to him, the moments where you don't feel close to him, you say this, God, I'm going to give you all the glory and all the credit that you deserve. And Paul says, listen, only one thing I want you to know, you live a life that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. The third word that I think opens up this text, and you're going to love this one. You're going to love this word. Um, Look at the word conduct or conduct. Only conduct yourselves. This this Greek word, I I, I love this Greek word. The Greek word that Paul uses right here in verse number 27 is this word, polytuomai. Say that with me, polytuomai. Perfect. Greek scholars you are. Now, the English word, our English word that we get from polytuomai, here's what I want you to do a drum roll, please, because here's the Greek, here's the English word. It's politics. It's politics. Now, you and I, we have heard, especially in, in this you know, non Christian secular world, you have heard something like this. It's two things you never need to talk about. What is it? Religion and, hmm, crazy, right? You know that's never found in Scripture? As a matter of fact, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, uses this word. This word is only used, uh, scholars debate whether it's one or two times, but either way, two times at least in all the Scripture, that's not very many. So Paul specifically uses this word here. For the church at Philippi, he says, church, you need to polytuomai, you need to conduct yourselves. This word polytuomai, word we get politics or polity, it literally means be a good citizen. So it means politics, politicians, you be a good citizen, you do what's right. That's what it means. It means politicians, you do what's right. You conduct yourselves in a manner that's worthy. And for politicians for your country, right, it means you do what's right for the greater good of your country, not for the greater good of yourself, not for your own personal philosophy, but for the greater good of the country. And so Paul uses this word in in Philippi for a very specific reason. The, the, The city Philippi was known as Little Rome, because it was the most Roman city outside of Rome. So if you were in, living in those days and you went to Rome and then you visited Philippi, you'd say, they look awfully alike. Because in Philippi, they talked like Rome, they, they walked like Rome, they, they ruled like Rome, and everything about Philippi looked exactly like Rome. Why? Because they were good politicians. Are you with me this morning? Nobody's with me. Praise God. Go vote, please. That's all I'm going to say. Paul is saying, he's using a word that they know. He's using a word that says, okay, I get this. Because if I lived in Philippi, I, I live like Rome. And so Paul's now writing to the believer saying, okay, you be a good citizen 
of heaven. And Paul says, listen, whether I'm going to come to see you or not, because he's already mentioned that in this text, I want to come see you, I want to encourage you, but honestly, I'd rather go up to be with Jesus right now, but I may come see you, but whether I do or not, here's what I want you to do. I want you to live for Christ. I want you to be a good citizen of heaven. Gosh, I just think that's, so, I think that's so important for us now in the 21st century. That no matter what goes on, our job as a believer in Christ is to live for him no matter what's going on in our society. Amen? And Paul says, you can still have joy in the trenches. What are the trenches? The trenches in life are you and I as believers in Christ. We're trying to live as good citizens of heaven in a world that is anti-Christ. Well, in the remaining verses, Paul gives you and I four ways to have joined the trenches, which actually shows people that we're followers of Christ. All right, are you ready for this? I mean, I only have like 12 more minutes. If you say no, I'm going to give you 13 minutes. I think this is great. I'm excited. This this gets me excited. Number one, write this down. Here's what Paul says. You want to have joined the trenches. You want to show people that you are a believer in Christ. Number one, we stand united. We stand united. This is what Paul's going to say in verse 27. We are to stand together united. We are to stand together in unity. Verse 27, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, whether I come see you or I remain absent. Here's the phrase. I will hear that you are standing firm in one spirit. That you as believers, believers, the church, the church of Jesus Christ, those who have followed him, it says this, you stand firm in one spirit. You stand together in, in unity. And this, this phrase, stand firm, is a military term. Again, the Philippians would know this term because they would see the Roman soldiers all around in their city. This term literally means as soldiers, you stand shoulder to shoulder, back to back with your spears ready. Meaning that you stand together, church, that you stand together united. And, and I think what Paul is saying is because one of the, one of the uh, part of the context of Philippians is, yes, you are to rejoice, but there's some conflict going on. There's some conflict going on in, in the society. And Paul says, listen, church, listen, stand together in unity. And I think what he's saying is, church, you, if you would only know the impact on the society, if the society saw the church standing together, what impact we could make. It's coach speak. We win together and we lose together. Yesterday, um, the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Many of you, if not all of you, some of you may not have been born by that time, but many of you remember exactly where you were when you heard that a plane flew into the World Trade Center. You all remember that? And you can think of that moment right now. I remember exactly where I was. I just walked into the office, the church office at First Baptist Church, Burnett, Texas, where I was the student pastor. I remember walking in. I remember walking in, and there in the church office was a man by the name of Luther Bookout. Luther book out about an 80-year-old man, the kindest, gentlest man who is the straightest driver of a golf ball I've ever seen in my life. He's straight, just boom, boom, boom. 
super nice guy, Luther, book out. His wife's name was Francis, and uh, both of them have since passed on. But, but Luther, in all of his quietness, his humility, just said, hey, Chris and others on staff, have you heard what's happened, that a plane has flown into the World Trade Center? I said, I had not heard that, but like many of us, I thought it was like some prop plane. I just thought somebody, a single plane, some just crazy guy just got off target. Had no idea it was a major airline. We turn on the TV, and then we see what happens. Y'all remember those moments? No words. Devastation. Three days later, on September the 14th, something happened that for me is it's probably one of the greatest events that came from September 11th. I remember watching this, and I think about it often because I long for that moment. September 14th, our president, George W. Bush, came to ground zero. Do y'all remember this? He came to ground zero, dressed in work clothes. He grabbed a bullhorn. He began to think, thank all of the workers there who are trying to help with, with the situation. If you remember, as only a New Yorker can, some New Yorker spoke back to the president. Do you remember this? Do you remember this? President Bush is speaking through a bullhorn, and then some New Yorker says, I can't hear you. Do you remember that? And then what I think is one of the greatest three or four lines in all of presidential history of the United States of America. President Bush said these words, well, I can hear you. He said, I can hear you, the rest of the world hears you, and those who knocked these buildings down will soon hear from us. I don't even remember that moment, but after that, this chance of USA filled ground zero. I, mean, I just get goosebumps thinking about that. And from that moment, one of the greatest moments in my life was of, at that moment, unity identified the United States of America at that moment. In my lifetime, that's one of the greatest moments I've ever witnessed. When I read this text and I think of that we need to stand united, Paul is saying as believers in Christ, as we stand on ground zero, we need to be unified. Believers in Christ, we need to be unified. I mean, you know this. We, we are not to cause division amongst ourselves. Throughout history, the church has been its own worst enemy. Amen? We have squabbled about things that don't need to be squabbled about. We currently wrestle with, with um, um, what, what color the church should be, as if the church is to be identified by color. Are you with me? The church is not to be identified by color. The church is identified by the blood of Jesus. The only color that matters in the church of Jesus Christ is the red blood of Jesus Christ that was spilt for us. Period. I mean, I can just imagine when we get into heaven, we will celebrate color. 
We'll celebrate what the red blood of Jesus did for us. And so today the church needs to do the same thing. And we, know not, we no longer need to wrestle with the issue of, of race or skin color, other issues. We need to no longer wrestle with those things. We no longer need to squabble over those things which are not major points. The thing that we need to stand together in, united in, is that we need to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. People need Jesus. And Paul says, church, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent from you, I will hear. Oh, man, I will hear. I will hear that you're standing firm in one spirit. Well, number two, then Paul goes on to say this. Not only are we to stand united, number two, he says we are to strive together for the faith. Look at the end of verse 27. At the end of verse 27, Paul says, I will hear that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. There's two words, key words in, verse, at the, in, that, in that line of verse number 27. The first one is the word striving. Circle or underline that word striving. That Greek word is this, suna athleo, which means, are you ready for this? It means athlete. So we have politics and we have athlete in this text. We get our English word athletic or athlete like this. And so Paul is painting this picture that we are to strive together. Take that football analogy because it's football season. We're to strive together like we're the running back striving to get the ball across the line. We strive together for that. In football, it takes all 11 players to get the ball across the goal line. It takes all 11 players to keep the other team from scoring. And Paul is saying, this is a believer's offensive attack. We strive together for the faith of the gospel. Not for my desires, not for my wants, but for the gospel. And I want you to circle that phrase, the faith. There's a second word in this phrase, in this phrase that's so important. It's the word faith. Now, you and I really don't see this in English. And this is why I go into Greek so many times. Some of you may like it, some of you may not, but I think it's so important we know what goes on in the Greek here. When Paul says we stand, uh, we strive together for the faith of the gospel, right before the word faith is what's called the definite article. Thank you, pastor. I feel so much better. Definite article. In Greek, when the definite article is in front of a word, it gives it major emphasis. It turns that word from a verb, typically from a verb, to a noun, more like a, a proper noun. Does that, does that make sense? So when Paul says, we strive together for the faith. So in Paul, in that definite article that Paul uses, when he says the faith, he's not referencing the inner faith that you and I have to believe in Jesus. What he's referencing is the whole scheme of our faith, what all of our faith includes, what our faith means, what it believes about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, what our responsibility is as believers in Christ Jesus. Paul says we strive together for the faith. Meaning when we come together on, on Sundays, we come together in our Sunday small groups, we come together in whatever group, we come to worship, here's what we strive together for. We come together united, we strive together for the faith, meaning we will not compromise on the faith. That's our goal. 
And Paul reminds the Philippians, said, listen, remember what Jesus' words were, his last words, the Great Commission, go and make disciples. Go and preach the gospel. We are always on the offensive attack. You and I can have joy in the trenches when we are standing together in unity, when we're striving together for the faith. And number three, number three is this. It's going to look different up on the screen because I've changed it just, it just even now as we're thinking right now. But number three, I want you to write this down. Number three, you don't get spooked. Okay? You see on the screen, we speak without fear. I was just trying to think of an S word, all right? I just thought of another S word, and it says, don't get spooked. And let me explain to you what that means. Look at verse 28. Are you all with me this morning? Look at verse 28. Paul says, in no way alarmed by your opponents. Meaning, you stand firm, you're united, you you, you are united, you strive together for one go, the gospel, the faith of Christ, and then don't be alarmed by your opponents. Meaning this, don't get spooked when other people turn against you. Don't get spooked when the world says you're crazy. You, 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 you're crazy to stand up for Jesus. And he says, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but a salvation for you and that too from God. From, from God. And what Paul is saying is this. He says, church, you're going to be opposed. And can Paul say that? Yes, he can. Why? Because he's in prison. Why? For standing up for what? The faith. He says, but don't be spooked. Don't be alarmed when that happens. Don't let, don't let opposition stop you from preaching and reaching others with Jesus. I mean, we can't help but to think of what really happened to Jesus. Jesus was perfect. He was sinless. But yet the world crucified him. If they did that to the Savior, how much more will they do that to us? I... Uh, I remember several years ago, um, the last time I rode a horse, about 20 years ago. Y'all can picture me riding a horse, can't you? About 20 years ago, I, I was, my college buddies and I, we, we were riding a horse, and um, we're riding along, and, and all of a sudden, my horse got spooked. He got frightened. He got alarmed. Because an armadillo came out out of the woods or the, the brush, came out, scared my horse, um, and I wasn't smart enough to not pull back on the reins of the horse. So I pull back, he raises up, bucks me off, next thing you know, I'm on the ground and this big horse is coming at me. Rolled out of the way and then I took off at that armadillo because I wanted to kill that armadillo. Um. But the reason that happens is because my horse got spooked and he ran away. Do you get the picture? Paul said, in no way be alarmed. Greek word frightened, Greek word spooked. Paul says, you, you want to show the world that you are a believer in Jesus Christ? Don't get spooked when these things happen to you. Church, listen to that, please. We can show a lost and dying world that we're a follower of Christ when we do not get alarmed, when we don't fly off the handle, when we don't jump to conclusions that probably never will take place. Are you with me? You'll never, never get spooked as a believer 
in Jesus Christ, and that will point others to him. Here's the last thing. Here we go. Here's the last one. Number four, that did not spook me, by the way. That did not spook me. Did not spook me. Yes, it did. And number four, here we go, and then we're going to be done. We're to stand united. We strive together with the faith. We, we are not spooked. And number four, we are to sacrifice and suffer well. Verse 29. For to you, church, it's been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in men and now here to be in me. Paul says, church, I want you to know this. There's two gifts that come to believers in Christ Jesus. Number one is the gift of faith. Paul says, it's been granted to you for Christ's sake that you have faith. You and I have the gift of faith. But the second gift that Paul says is this, you also have the gift of suffering. Paul says, you are to suffer for Christ. That when you're in the trenches... When you're in the trenches, suffering is a part of it. I believe, and you know this is because you've read the end of the book, you've read Revelation, you know what's coming. But I believe that great suffering is coming our way. But how we will suffer will lead people to Jesus or turn him away. Albert Barnes, in his commentary on this, said this, it is a privilege (laughs) to suffer for Christ. Someone asked C.S. Lewis, why do the righteous suffer? And he said, why not? Followers of Christ are the only ones who can take it. Many of us today are going through some type of suffering You say, Pastor, how can I have joy in the trenches when I'm suffering? Pastor, you don't understand. I've lost people or I'm I'm struggling with this. Pastor, you don't understand. And you're right, I, I, I may not understand, but I know this about suffering. Suffering has a way to burn off the edges in our lives. Isn't that right, church? Like you, I don't want to go through the fires of life. I don't want to go through the fires of life. I don't. But I know this, that the prophet Isaiah, God through Isaiah said this, you'll walk through the fires and you will not be burned. You will walk through the floods and you will not drown. Why? Because I am with you. Church, suffering is a part of our call to follow Christ. That you and I are to suffer well. And that when we suffer, here's what we do. We get back up and we get back in the trenches. There's no platitudes that can help us on that. Other than this fact is true. Jesus said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. I will always be with you. But God, I don't see you. Jesus, I don't see you. I know, but my word says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. 
God, I don't feel you. Jesus, I don't feel you. I, I understand. But I'm with you. I'm with you. And when you and I suffer well, we actually will point people to Jesus. So church, can we stand together united? Church, can we strive together for the, for the gospel? Can we together hold each other accountable and say, let's not get alarmed, let's don't get spooked. And then lastly, church, can we together, can we suffer well together? Can we cry with one another? Can we hug one another? Can we encourage one another? We do that, and Paul says, you'll have joy in the trenches, and you will point others to Jesus. Let that be said of us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. I pray, Almighty God, that you would be pleased with our lives, and that we would stand together, we would, be, we would strive together, that we would not be afraid, and Father, I pray that we would suffer well, all for your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.